Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. Now, before you maybe scooch ahead as you know some people do for the preamble before the actual conversation uh, with my guest Rosanna, um, Rosanna McGrattan, uh she's from Brazil. Her accent is very thick. And so I decided that after the episode, it would be helpful to then follow it up immediately with my friend um, Cora and I doing the transcript of the conversation um, without any accents, or at least I guess with our accents, whatever. But um, hopefully that's helpful. I I encourage you to listen through my conversation with uh, Rosanna and and then if there's little parts or something that you can't quite catch, um, maybe go back and listen to the, the transcript. I've also posted the transcript on heyhumanpodcast.com under transcripts. It will be easy to find because it's the only one that I've sat down and taken the time to transcribe. I don't know if any of you have ever transcribed a conversation that lasts more than 10 minutes, but it takes a really long time. But you're worth it. So anyway... Rosanna is an extraordinary woman. She wrote a book called Street Girl. Uh, It's a memoir about her life. Its full title is Street Girl, A Life of Hardship, Heroism, and Hope. This woman, as a child, endured the most extraordinary things. She grew up in the slums uh, in Brazil uh, in extreme poverty. And throughout the course of her young life, young adult life, just the things that she came up against and and lived to tell the tale it, it's uh, it's an engrossing story it's a beautiful story it's a sad story and it's a triumphant story and uh, i really i could not encourage you more to read this book um rosanna was delightful there again there's parts of it where it's a little tough to to catch her accent and when i transcribed it i tried to stay as true to what she was saying as possible. Her English is a little different, uh, you know, obviously, because she's Brazilian, so there's a little bit of broken English. Um, Some words are kind of different. But uh, in that case, in the transcript, I, in the written one at least, I tried to put little brackets to sort of explain what was going on. When Cora and I do the read-through, the brackets aren't there. We just read it as it was said uh, between me and Rosanna, so... Just understand that. And uh, that, the English transcript uh, begins at 4519 mark. And so you can go to that spot and and listen if you so desire. Um, the usual stuff, uh, we're growing like crazy and I'm so appreciative. We're almost 8,000 listeners. Oh, so exciting. Y'all are doing great getting the word out. Um, thank you for the awesome reviews and on iTunes, that's fantastic. It, it's so fantastic. Um, as usual, heyhumanpodcast.com has links and descriptors and things about every guest I have on the show. And um, you can find on all the social media, Hey Human Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and am I missing one? I don't I think that's it. Those are the three. The three biggies. Um and you can email me at susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. And that would be great. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I won't take up too much time here because we'll get right into 
the conversation with Rosanna and again her book Street Girl. You can get it on Amazon. It's phenomenal. If and this conversation that we had was so inspiring. And again, I encourage you to listen to the whole thing of me and Rosanna talking, even in the moments where it's a little hard to understand her because the passion with which she speaks is just so beautiful, so lovely. And when Cora and I were reading the transcript, obviously that gets lost in the translation. So uh, hopefully, you know, you'll listen through Rosanna's and my conversation before you you jump to the other. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I got nothing else other than thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Please share, like, review, all the things. Uh, get it out there more. Uh, and thanks for being a part of it. Here we go. Hi, Rosanna. Hi, you all right? <laughs> uh, so where are you exactly right now? You're in London or? I am in Hemel Hempstead. It's just about 25 miles from London. Oh, okay. It's not the countryside, but it's like quiet and green. Yes. Nice. Oh, wow. So it's like... Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it's... A little bit outside of the city. Yeah. We have got a very nice commercial center here as well, so it's not too bad. That's good. I lived in Cambridge when I was a little girl. Okay. Yeah, so... Did you like it there? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I had to come just twice, but yeah, it seems a nice place to live. Yeah, my dad was teaching there, so we got to live there. So I read your book, and... It's great. I mean, it's really, it's a page turner to say the least. And is this you on the cover? Is that a picture? No, this is actually a model because okay. I don't, I, I would have used my own photo if I had one. Right. Basically, I never took a photo until I was 20 years old. Yeah. Now, when I was a child, there was no cameras. Then for a long time, I suffered from depression. They thought I was the ugliest human yet, so I never had the guts to take a photo of myself. Yeah, I understand that. It's a beautiful little girl on the cover. She's gorgeous, yeah. Her name is Angelina. Angelina's beautiful, absolutely. So, Street Girl, A Life of Hardship, Heroism, and Hope. And this is your memoir. Yes. When did you write this book? I started to write two years ago, so I was towards the end of 2013, beginning 2014. Uh, took basically two years to write the book and get it published, but the, the project started about two years ago, and the launch was on the 9th of June of 2016. Yeah. So it's been out for three, four months now. So with this book, this, is, this memoir, it starts with you as a little girl, you're with your family in Brazil, extreme pro- poverty, yes. and, and then your journey throughout your, your young and, and adult, early adult life, it is harsh. I mean, your childhood was intense. It was really intense, yes. Uh, basically, uh, as you can see by the book, and... Now, after I had written the book, I started to remember things that are actually not there because it was just so much going on when I was a kid, when I was a little girl. And I was even saying, because in the book, if you see towards the end, we say that I say that um, my family became from being one of the poorest 
uh, family in the village to go to one of the better off ones. But the funny thing is, because now I think we have the Channel 4, this kind of interest of doing a documentary about the book. And I was just saying, then they want to go to the village. And if you see, it's still extremely poor there. Yes. You know, but when I say it's a wealthy place now, it's compared to what was before. You know, if you compare to what was 40 years ago when I was a kid, and now, you could say everyone is a millionaire there. Not because they have millions, but it's like the style of your life, how have you moved on? But uh, my daughter was thinking, was saying to me because we go to Brazil every year and she said mom by British standards or like the rest of the world stands in first world they're still very poor and it's true because but the kind of poverty we had back then as you know is the kind of poverty that some days for three days we wouldn't have anything to eat yes and you said that you had, I mean, you had worms crawling out your nose and, you know, you that there were a couple points where you almost died as a child and there was no doctor, there was no medicine. Okay. There was absolutely nothing. I actually remember something once. I was feeling really ill and, and again, that's not in the book. But uh, being a rural area, we had loads of snakes in the countryside. And my house had holes like one meter wide on the wall and under the ground to come to the floor. A, me a meter wide hole? Yeah, yeah. like big, yeah. big holes. Yeah. On the, uh, and I remember once uh, my my mother uh, they, they had, was, was hard this time and they got all the, the corn and the black beans that we had to eat over the year. And they just put in sacks and left on the side of our little kitchen. When they moved, there was like a, a family of snakes living underneath that in our kitchen. Because anything could go in. There was very far liar to enter if, if there was lions in the region. So it was extreme, extreme poverty. Yeah. Wow. It's, um, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about yesterday. I was thinking about how I wanted to ask you about your life without... I feel like I didn't want to give away the book the way you wrote it. Yeah. It's it's almost like it's it's almost like you don't. It's too many as what they call spoiler alerts. You know, you don't want to give away too much because the journey going through the journey with you is such an important part of the book. I feel like it's very well written. Um, so I, I guess really I'm gonna put it on you to sort of talk about. Um, you were suicidal uh, many times in your life, lots of depression issues. Wait, who wouldn't be in that situation? You were on the streets, the, every kid around, there are children with you in your little gang. You're all starving, many are on drugs, the crime is intense. The, it's just, it's, how do you survive something like that? You know, we, in America, for example, we have extreme poverty here as well, but I think it's, it, Anyone reading your book, Street Girl, is going to have their mind blown because the difference is gargantuan. Yeah. That's what I say because, as you said, in America and here in Britain, there is what they call extreme poverty. <laughs> but to be honest, if I think the kind of poverty I have lived when I was a child is the only thing you will 
know what's like if you have been there not necessarily if you have been as poor as I was but uh, if you if you travel to that area and just see how kids are so skinny so you know like I mentioned in the book how I looked nine months pregnant because I was born and skin when the fetus huge belly in front of me with worms of the point it's a bit disgusting what I'm going to say but to go into the toilet and run away from the worms because they are crawling around you yeah and there, there was no toilet yes. so everything was done in open in land, the street you know? in the street yeah yes and you'd go you know to do your physical needs and then the next thing especially for a child that even that was scary because would be there and then all of a sudden you'd see all those little worms just crawling around you because it was like tens of them sometimes could be just worms coming out and nothing else so you know like i said for, for some people this is absolutely impossible to imagine but there is and i'm sure this is still going on in many parts of the world including brazil yes. you know our population unfortunately is still about 90 percent is still living in extreme poverty so 90 percent yeah yeah and then here I, i've seen picture i've never been to brazil and it looks beautiful in some places but i'm i'm there's a particular image that i i have seen and it's these beautiful high-rise condos and then there's a fence and on the other side of the fence is absolutely yeah absolutely I, I think actually I had got a bit out of the subject because you were talking about how depressed I had been and I think worse than being in poverty is the fact because it's bad enough for you to be a very poor kid and different from the ones you consider rich or fortunate at the time but in my opinion the worst thing is because us being poor like many things because I think these days what we can compare to the poor is still in some parts of the world can be the black people, the gays, you know, anyone who is considered minority in the world. Yes. It's like you are inferior to the other people. You know what I mean? Yes. And you are, as, a, as a put, I, I just mentioned gays and black because unfortunately we see lots of racism and some sort of pre-make mind about what is normal and what is not. Yes. And when, when I was a child, I always had big dreams. And I wasn't allowed to talk about it. And they were big and I believed in them. But I was the one who believed in them. No one else would. And the, the comments about anything I said would be... And like I said, the black, for example, the black people, even though I'm white, as you can see, the way people used to offend me, not that I felt offended, but to make me to look small, is to say, a little black like you is never going to go anywhere. You know, because yes. little black, in their opinion, was offensive and it just put me right to the ground. Right. You know what I mean? So, in the end of the day, in the beginning, I never let it get to me so much. But after I just started to say, yeah, they are right. Where am I going to go? I'm just, I have nothing to eat. Uh, thanks God, I have very white teeth now, as you can know, but as you can see, but my teeth were completely black. 
Uh, yes, I, I read in the book about how you went to the med- the dental student and how painful it was. But your your teeth were rotten out of your head. You had no dental care as a child. No, and I didn't even brush my teeth. The very first time I had a toothbrush, I was 13. And my teeth were completely rotten, black. And, uh, like, I do have nice teeth, but they are not natural, you know. Right, so sure, teeth. sure. And everything, because... Yeah. By the time I went to the dentist, they there was not much they could do. Yeah, you know they just had to do what they had to do. So one of those things. Yes. Uh, but I I also think depression has really kicked in when I became a teenager. Uh, as I have a teenager daughter, and I think being a teenager is a painful thing as it is. You know, yes. through a bad phase in their lives, even when they have everything. Now, being a teenager, having people put you down all the time, having no any perspective of a future, so that just, you know, it just made me so sad. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, I found it fascinating while reading this that here's this, you, this little girl, in the worst possible situations, I mean, and you know, nearly dying a handful of times, molestation, you know, family members dying, best friends dying, all this stuff, this little girl having to endure, and yes, being depressed, who wouldn't be, by the way, and then, yet there was still this fire in you, you still, the chances you took, you you were just like, oh, I'm going to get on this bus and go here, or I'm going to walk through this door, or that door, and a lot of times, to serious upheaval. I mean, you were you were basically an indentured slave for a time of your life, and yet, no matter what, you just kept going. I find that, I mean, jeez, man, I, I'm very impressed by your tenacity and your sense of spirit. It, it chokes me up. I mean, it's incredible. I don't know, I don't know how you did it. I... I try to, you know, you read these, I'm like, would I have been like that? Would I have just kept going? I mean, I'm pretty fiery, but who knows, you know? Do you know what I always say? I think we, as human beings, that's not just me personally. We all have something really strong inside us. And to be fair, I haven't yet found in me what is my strongest thing, what is the strongest point in my soul. But I do know, up to now, I believe that I had a very strong mission in the world. And to be honest, like I said, I haven't yet found what is exactly what I'm expected to do or what I want to do in it. Yeah. I believe somehow I came to the world to change something. And when, when I was extremely depression, there were days that I wouldn't want to get out of the bed. There were days all I want was to die, as I tried a few times. But there was always, there was two voices. One telling me how worthless, how unimportant I was, how I should just kill myself. But then there was always a very little voice always saying to me, don't give up. You must carry on. You must go on because there is something amazing that's go- amazing that's going to happen. And then sometimes I would give up things um, for a week. 
And then a little light would come in, I would start something good. And then something would happen, I would go depressed again, and that went on for years. And, because then every time I got really depressed and put my projects behind me, then in that moment of light, I would think, you are so stupid, why did you stop? Why do you have to hear this stupid voice in your head? To hear what you know is right. You know, follow your faith, follow your soul, you know who you are. And then one day I just said to myself, you either give one step ahead and turn back, or you hold on to your faith, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, and step there. You don't have to go forward on that day, but just don't go back either, because otherwise you are always going to go back, you're always going to go back, you're never going to achieve anything. And I just, I just thought to myself that I was in a vicious circus, you know, one step forward, ten back. And then once I had learned to take control of my destiny and just, you know, hear what was interesting for me, what I want to believe, and what I had to believe, like we all should, is that we are wonderful, we are beautiful in our own way, you know? And, and, and if you believe you came here to be a winner, no matter how many times, uh, people are going to say you are a loser. Yes. You are meant to be a winner, and it's up to you. You know, you are the only person. It's like being an athlete. You can be, you can have a very thin leg, a very thin arm, and people are going to say you are so skinny. You are never going to be a strong athlete. But if you keep training and training and never give up, there is no other way. You are going to get there eventually. And I suppose that's why. That's why then. Yes. I held on to my faith that. I think that's what was, and, and it's very easy to lose your faith. I don't blame anyone who does that, because you have got to be a strong soul, you have got to have a strong belief, and I think my faith is what brought me right here talking to you now, you know. Sure. So, at one point in the story, without giving away too much, you get abducted by a very horrible human being and kept against your will for an amount of time, and very bad things happened. And I kept thinking, as I was reading that, and, and the whole time you're trying to figure out how to get out of there, and uh, I just thought, man, what more could happen to this poor woman? You really... I mean, when you were in that moment, after... <clears throat> You mentioned something about how, you know, you had tried to, to die a couple times. And, and in this moment, your will to live was so strong in order to get you to escape. Yeah. I mean, while you were in it, did you think you were going to be able to get out? I, like I said, I think it came to a point in my life. And thankfully, I think once the time came when that happened, I was older then. Even though I was still depressed, I was still, before I went to die, I was still wanting to die. But I came to realize I never really wanted to die. You know, I think what I really wanted was to have, I want to be loved. Yes. Like people do. And I didn't feel that love ever. And, and how I know that, because when I was there, I kept thinking to myself, okay, I want to die, did I really? No, because if I died here, no one would know about my death, because I think what I, I really want was to test people's love for me. 
I want to see if anyone would suffer. No, that I probably wouldn't see because I would be dead. But I just thought, if I die here, what had been the purpose of my life? Why did I go through so much to, you know, to die here in this flat and away and no one will never know I have died? Do, so do you think that guy was a serial killer? I mean, I think he was a serial killer. I... I have never found this out for sure, but I believe so for everything I have seen there. And again, it's, it's a very, I didn't understand this at the time. And probably, again, you have got to go through, through, uh, through that circle in life when it seems like everything that happened in your life is bad. But you don't realize it's yourself who attracts those things to you. You know? Oh, yes, I understand what you're saying. Yes. So it's like, how can so many things bad happen to, this, to that person? Or how can someone be so locked that everything seems right? Because I feel like now, it's amazing how once you change your frame of mind, everything starts to change around you. And I suppose people can tell how you are feeling, how you are dealing with things. Yes, you and know, you draw those people to you, whether they're negative or positive. You do, and unfortunately, I think most people in the world, they don't know the power of the mind, and how, you know, how you circulate whatever you want in your circle. Yes. You, you don't, you're not conscious that you are doing this, but that's exactly what happened, and, and, and I see these things because... Throughout my life, actually, I, you know, I wanted things, and I knew I could get, and knew I had the potential to do so, right? Mm -hmm. But as I always say, with with, um, I wouldn't even say success, right? Even though I consider myself to be very successful, and I explain to you. To be successful to me these days is a completely different thing that was in the past. But to me, to be successful is to be able to smile, to be happy, to have my friends, like I told you, in the garden, have a little barbecue, which I'm not even paying for because everyone is, you know, someone brought the meat. Or, you yeah. Know, yeah. It's not money at all. It's not a mansion. It's not expensive cars. To be successful is to be happy. And I agree. Around, like, you love? Yes. But, but, yeah. But, <laughs> Before, I had this, this idea of being successful, right? And I was always looking for the wrong things. That's one of the things. And uh, materialistic things, they, they take long to get, and it's very easy to just lose them, just like that, right? But also to keep anything material, you have got to work extremely, extremely hard. Uh, so I never really took responsibility of my life because for me it was a lot easier to say to people when they said to me, why are you, why are you not studying? Why can you not read or write? Oh, because I was very poor, I was born in poverty, then I was a slave for three years and then I was raped. I think it's quite easy for you, you know, to get in that circle of make yourself look like a victim because while you are blaming your problems to the world, you have no responsibility to them. You don't have to do anything, right? Right. right. And I think that was because I liked the people think I was this poor thing. 
even though no one ever did, because inside my own limitation, I have always been one step ahead of other people. Yes. Right? Yes. While the people in the same situation of me still in the little village where we were born in, as you know, I moved to the other seats and I tried to do something and I moved to Sao Paulo. But it seemed like nothing was enough. I always want more and more and more, right? But why did I keep going back then? Because, like I said, I always came to a point where commit suicide was not the answer. You know, if I was to, to, to make my mom proud, was not to commit suicide. Mm. And even if the suicide happened to be, let's say, what I say a lot, what they take the make of me, where's the magazine where you are the front cover of the magazine, I probably could make a very big suicide and be in a cover of magazine. But was that going to make my mother proud? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yes. If I want to make her proud, I really have got to go there and show her I can write my name. I can write to her a letter and say, look, I have stopped. And then all these things. And, and also, another thing, apart from my faith and being strong and being able to do things, was the fact that I had to make my mom proud. I, I, I left her not saying I was. And I couldn't let her down. Not me. Any, anyone could, but not me. And uh, also, because before I was kidnapped, going back to, to the beginning of your question. When I was kidnapped, um, up to there, so many things have happened to me anyway. And I think, I, I say this now, you can go to university, you can go to college, you can read a thousand books, but nothing else teaches you more than life, than being there. Yes. And I think this knowledge of all the experience I have had of being a slave, of living with uh, Rachel, the lady who had her sexual problems and was a bit crazy, I have lived on the streets and lived in that public toilet. Everything came to my aid when I was kidnapped because I kind of knew from, from you know, through the people who I have met, that guy. He was not a normal human being like you and me. He had some issues, and that was very clear to me. So I either have to, had to play his game, or I would be a dead woman. And I, I made my choice. And once I had to make my choice, then I just stuck to it, you know. And I just thought, what I have, I have to do, I will do. But I will come out of here alive. And I knew, once I got out of it, I would be a stronger woman and capable of everything or anything. Yes. That's quite a way to look at it. I mean, and you're talking about, you know, making your mother proud, but I think ultimately your journey is about making yourself proud for yourself. It definitely is, yeah. Anything I do in life, and like now, for example, my because, like I said, I think my mission in this life is to help other people. I, I don't know how. I don't know how, and that's something that really bothers me. Right. Well, I think your book will help help people. Do you think so? I really do. I mean, I think I hope that many, many, many people read this book because I think we are all you, all of us. We may not have had so many of the extreme situations, but we certainly are all you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that in that, 
your fight and your tenacity and your ability to keep pushing through will teach many of us to not give up. I mean, that's a huge blessing to the world for anyone that's, that reads that. That's, that is the school just said, uh, what you were saying to me, I actually have said by a few people who read the book, and it just really makes me happy because I, I always said to people, be prepared, don't make a penny for this book. The whole purpose of writing the book in the first place was to show people that no matter where you come from, what matters where you are going to go is where you get in the end. Provided you are not hurting anyone, you are not harming yourself in any way that because we should take care of ourselves as well. And I know I hurt myself sometimes, right? But I don't know any better. In the end of the day, I came out, and apart from a few little scars here and there, I got where I want to be. And uh, with the depression, for example, what I, I don't actually remember if I said this in the book or not, but what I, I found about depression, you want to die, you want to die, no matter what, what you do, and you get used to that. And when you see yourself out, of the depression circle for a little bit, you feel so uncomfortable, you feel so strange. You know, if you are happy for a while, it's almost like you don't allow yourself to be happy because you don't see the point and you just... You see, when you are depressed, when you get out of this little bubble, it's as scary as being in an empty room with lions. A moment of happiness is scary, okay? But then, once you reach happiness, like I, like I am now, I'm so happy. When I think about where I have been, I don't want to be there. And people who suffer from depression, they have got to understand this part. You know, depression is, is like a prison. You are a prisoner in your own mind, and your own body. And you believe that that's the normal. And it's really not. You know, and... When I wrote the book, I would like people to understand this with, with the sexual abuse. When you are abused by a guy or whatever kind, what was my case, but I know there's lots of other kind of abuse, you always think it's normal. Oh no, he did this or she did this because I deserved, because I did something wrong or because I'm a bad person. It's not your fault. You know, if you embarrass it because, because you're bad, that's how you see. No, it's not. So don't be embarrassed to talk about it. Don't just think it's your fault because no one deserves to be raped. We came to the world naked. Even if you are walking the street naked, you are doing that for whatever reason. But certainly not to be naked because if sex is what you want, there is many places you can go for that. You don't yes. really know what I mean. You are yes. not well, rape is not about sex, of course. It's about control and violence. Exactly. Yes. I, again, I didn't write this in the book. Like I said, I keep remembering things about people in my past, about things that happened to me. And there is a guy, the one who abused me when I was 11 years old. Yes. Uh, I went to Brazil last year, and as you know, he's married to my sister now. Yes. And then he was telling me how when his son, my nephew, turned 12, 
he took him to have sex with a prostitute. Whoa. And he's 12 years old. And he goes, yeah, that's what my dad did. You know, you are a man. You have got to man up when you are 12. And um, my son is 12. And the other day I was watching TV. He just came and sat on my lap. said, oh, mom, I really need a hug with that little boy's way of his. And then that's why I was thinking about that. I was just imagining my 12 years old son being taken to this room with growing women who are professional of sex. And, you know, he's forced to have sex with one of them. That's child, I think that's child abuse. Yeah. I think that's absolutely child abuse. It is. But that's what I mean. His father did that to him, to like this guy. His grandfather did that to his father. He did that to his son. And most probably his son is going to do that to... You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yeah. It's really, it's really hard. It's so... I'm curious, did you ever, did you, now that you're a grown-up person, did you say to him, uh, hey, you did this to me when I was a child, and do you, did you bring it up at all? Have you? I did, but he said that never happened. So he denied it? He denied it. Ugh. Yeah. He denied it. Classic. Yeah. No, he denied it. He said, it's all in your head. This never happened. I don't remember anything. When you were when you were abducted and and raped, did you and you escaped and and you said you didn't go to the police because who would believe you because of you know you're poor you're a woman all this stuff. Now that you are a woman of means and you have the self confidence and all that, do you ever think about when you're back in Brazil leading police to where you think that guy might be or trying to catch him or? I would not. No, I would not for. A few reasons. First of all, because I don't have a clue where that guy is. Yeah. I don't know if he's real. I don't know his surname anyway, but I don't even know if the, the name he gave me is his real name. Sure. And you don't remember how to get back there, probably. I don't. I don't have a clue. Because you were drugged. Yeah. Yes. And when I left, I ran so fast. Probably the next day I wouldn't be able to go back there. Yes. But also, uh, police in Brazil, most of them are very corrupt. They're, of course, I don't like to generalize because I'm sure there are great men within the police corporation. But you never know who is the corrupt and who is the good police officer. Yes. And just the fact that you go there and accuse, you, accuse one of them could bring some anger in them. Yes. So some things, I, I think the art of your life as well is to be able to live the past in the past sometimes. Yes. You know, because I think why you keep thinking about revenge or, in my opinion, happiness, the, the secret of happiness is the ability of forgiving. Yeah. You know, because if you are able to understand why people did something, because even that guy, like you said, I'm sure if he killed so many people like I think he has, if he has raped many people, keep them prisoner. I don't think he ever, you know, in his real human being, just thinking, when he was a baby, right. sure when he was playing with his little toys, he wasn't thinking, you know, when I grow up, that's what I'm going to do. Something on the way has happened. Right. Or maybe his dreams or mates. I don't know. Something in him yeah. makes him do it. Yes. It's for him just think, that's what I want to hurt someone. And I know some of them, they do all the things about hurting someone. But I'm sure as a baby, 
he wasn't made to be like that. Something happened and made him like that. Yes, it's hard to remember that, that that is the case, that in many of these people that something, some event caused it. Like, for example, you were talking about your brother-in-law, you know, yeah. taking his son to have sex at 12, which is insane to me. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's absolutely disgusting. But how, how can you say to someone? It's like, uh, as I see, right, how can you tell a liar? Don't go and kill a zebra because we're hurting the zebra. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yes. They are mind is, I think is, I'm just doing this comparison because in their mind they have to do it. Yes. Not they have to. Compulsion. But, it's compulsion. Yes. yes. Compulsion. Yeah. That's what it is. All right. So... Off of that subject, that is the subject I could talk about for a very long time, but I would actually, the, one thing about when you were telling this story, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Curandero, is that right? The Curandero, so the medicine man that you went to see? And yeah. the, I want to ask about the single note you heard, the musical note. To me, yeah. that was like angels or, or, or God or whatever calling to you to bring you into the wood. You were very, you know, when you were very sick... You were taken to this medicine man. You were poisoned by the water, and you, and you went to see the medicine man, and he helped you. But then you found him again on your own. You were a little girl, and that, that single note you heard, and you talked about it later in the book that you heard that note again. I did. Yeah. And to be honest, those notes, they're still very clear in my head. Yeah. And some days, there's something really funny that happens with me, right? Being a human, you know, you can have a good life, you can have a house, you can have a job, but the idea is I still feel a little down for one reason or another. Yeah. What uh, is hormones or is stress, yes. whatever you call it. And the idea is I feel really stressed and uh, I don't suffer from depression for years now. Yes. Every now and then I do feel a bit down, but there's something really fun that happens when I go to sleep. I sleep and then the next day, some flashes come to my mind, which I don't know if it's a dream, I don't know if it has been a place, I don't know if the angels came into my room, but I do hear musical notes, and I have flashbacks of a place I have been without having been, and brings so much happiness to my soul. Gives me the shivers. No, but it's the truth. Yeah, I know, I love it. And, and, and then I just want more of that experience. But it's just like those things just telling me that, that you have got to carry on, that you have got to go and not give enough and there's no reason to be sad. And, and, and it's really impressive because any time that I'm down for whatever is, this, this does happen. It's musical notes, it's something that flashes in my eyes, is I don't know, like stars and sparkles going through my body. <laughs> It's a really nice experience. I don't know if everyone has that, but I definitely have it a lot. I think it's beautiful, and I think it's. I think it shows that you are absolutely meant to be on this planet, and that all your experiences led you to now be a voice for so many and say, you know what, happiness does come from within, and you can achieve that. You can have that, and it's such a beautiful message. I was I I love the book. I think it's I think you're awesome, man. I really do. I think you're incredible. I'm glad you're on the planet. I'm glad you stuck around. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I'm excited because I feel like because of your experiences, your children will help the world as well. 
they can't help but do that because they have you as a mom, you know? Yeah, I do hope so. And yeah. Thank you, thank you for very beautiful words I just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. It's so true. I, I want everyone to read this book. I'm going to put links on Hey Human Podcast so that people can find find it. And, oh, mention, so you have two businesses now. I'd like to promote those as well, so I'll put those on the website. I just put the, the right option cleaning because... My daughter has been ill the past year, and I had to sell the catering business. Oh, okay. Uh, I be- I sold to my business partner, which is a friend of mine. So okay. Is your daughter okay? She's all right? Your daughter my, was... Uh, well, yes. Now we know what's wrong with her. Okay. So she's not well. She's going to know what it was until she had the diagnosed. Okay. But, but now right. she is diagnosed. So that's good. Yes. It's always something, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Life is never easy. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time, Rosanna. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for, for supporting me. Thank you for giving me the chance. And it's lovely meeting you. <laughs> and just to say, I would like you to put this. Life is not easy, but life is worth it. Amen to that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, now it's time for the transcript read. Uh, her accent was pretty strong, which is obvious because she's from Brazil. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll just introduce you, Cora Jane, and uh, me, Susan, are going to read through, and then we'll go from there. Okay? Great. Cora Jane is going to play Rosanna. Hello. And I'm going to play me. <laughs> Do you prefer... I've already asked you this. Cora or Cora Jane? Either one. All right. Cora Jane, by the way, is a fantastic performing artist, songwriter. So look her up, too. Hi, Rosanna. Hi. You're all right? So where are you exactly right now? You're in London, right? I'm in Hemel Hempstead. It's just about 25 miles from London. Okay. It's not the countryside, but it's, like, quiet and green. Yeah, nice. Okay, wow. Um, A little bit outside of the city? Yeah, outside of the city. We have a very nice commercial city here as well, so it's not too bad. That's good. I lived in Cambridge when I was a little girl. Oh, did you like it there? Yeah, I loved it. I've been to Cambridge twice, but yeah, it seems a nice place to live. Well, my dad was teaching there, so we got to live there. Uh, I read your book. It's great. It's a page-turner, to say the least. Is this you on the cover? No, this is actually a model. I would have used my own photo if I had one. Basically, I never took a photo until I was 20 years old. When I was a child, there were no cameras. Then for a long time, I suffered from depression and thought I was the ugliest human yet, so I never had the guts to take a photo of myself. I understand that. It's a beautiful little girl on the cover. She's gorgeous. Her name is Angelina. She's beautiful, absolutely. So, Street Girl, a life of hardship, heroism, and hope. And this is your memoir. Yes. When did you write this book? I started to write a few years ago. So it was the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, and it took basically two years to write the book and get it published, but the project started about two years ago and launched the 9th of June, 2016. So it's been out two or three months now. So this book, this memoir, it starts with you as a little girl. You're with your family in Brazil, extreme poverty, and then your journey throughout your young and adult early life. It is harsh. I mean, your childhood was intense. It was really intense, yes. Basically, as you can see by the book, and now after I've written the book, I've started to remember the things that are not bad, because there's just so much going on when I was a kid, when I was a little girl. 
And I would say, because in the book, as you see toward the end, we say, I say that my family came from being one of the poorest families to go and become one of the better off ones. But the funny thing is, because now I think we have the Channel 4 kind of interested in doing a documentary about the book. And I was just saying they want to go to the village. And if you see, it's still extremely poor there. So I guess Channel, this is an offset note, Channel 4 yeah. must be like their you know, news main yeah. channel for news. Yeah, okay. All right, back to you. <laughs> but when I say it's a wealthy place now, it's compared to what it was before, you know. If you compare it to what it was 40 years ago when I was a kid, and now you could say everyone is a millionaire there. Not because they have millions, but it's like the style of life, how it's moved on. But my daughter was saying to me, because we go to Brazil every year, she says, Mom, by British standards or like the rest of the world, the first world, it's still very poor. And it's true, but the kind of poverty we had back then was the kind of poverty that for days, for three days, we wouldn't have anything to eat. Yes, and you said you had worms crawling out of your nose, and there were a couple of points you almost died as a child. There was no doctor, there was no medicine. There was absolutely nothing. I actually remember something once. I was still really young, and again, it's not in the book, but being in a rural area, we had lots of snakes in the countryside, and my house had holes like one meter wide under the ground that came through the floor from the ground. A meter wide hole? Yeah, like big, big holes. And I remember once my mother... It was harvest time, and they got all the corn and black beans we had to eat for over the year, and they just put in sacks and left on the side of our little kitchen. When they moved, there was a family of snakes living underneath that in our kitchen because anything could go. Every 30 feet was like that in the region. There was extra, extra poverty. So um, we're going to have a couple of sides as we go through this. Um, when I transcribe this, I obviously it's in her, she's, her English yeah. is like broken here and there. But can you imagine that? Like, like she was basically saying there's just holes all through the floor and stuff. And and she had told me as an aside, too, that there were all sorts... And it wasn't just snakes. And these are deadly snakes. Yeah. And and rats and, like, all sorts of crazy... It's so crazy. That's insane. Back to me. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Yesterday I was thinking about how I wanted to ask you about your life without... Well, I feel like I didn't want to give away the book. The way you wrote it, it's almost like... It's almost like there are too many what they call spoiler alerts, and you don't want to give that away too much because the journey, going through the journey with you, is such an important part of the book. I feel like it's very well written, so I guess really I'm going to put it to you uh, to sort of talk about it. Um, You were suicidal many times in your life, lots of depression issues. Who wouldn't be in that situation? You were on the streets, every kid around, the children with you and your little gang, you're all starving. Many are on drugs. Crime is intense. It's just, how do you survive something like that? You know, we in America, for example, we have extreme poverty here as well. But I think it's, well, anyone reading your book, Street Girl, uh, it's, they're going to have their mind blown because the difference is gargantuan. Yeah, that's like I say. Because as we said, in America and here in Britain, there is what they call extreme poverty. But to be honest, if I think the kind of poverty I have lived when I was a child is the only thing, you will know what it's like if you had been there. Not necessarily if you have been as poor as I was, but if you travel to the area and just see how kids are so skinny. So, you know, I mentioned in the book how I looked nine months pregnant because I was bone and skin with this huge belly in front of me with worms. Up to the point, it's a bit disgusting what I'm going to say, but going to the toilet and run away because the worms are crawling around you. And there was no toilet, so everything was done open in the street. Yeah. And you'd go do your phys- you'd go to do your physical needs, and then the next thing, especially for a child, 
even that was scary because we'd be there and then all of a sudden see all of those little worms just crawling around you, tens of them. Sometimes it would just be worms coming out and nothing else. So, you know, like I said, for some people, this would be absolutely impossible to imagine, but there is, I'm sure, this is still going on in many parts of the world, including Brazil. You know, our population, unfortunately, still about 90% live in extreme poverty, so... 90%. Yes. And here I've seen pictures. I've never been to Brazil, and it looks beautiful in some places, but there's a particular image that I've seen, and it's these beautiful high-rise condos, and then there's a fence on the other side, and on the other side of the fence, it's absolutely... Yeah, absolutely. I think I've actually gotten a bit out of the subject because you were talking about how depressed I have been, and I think that is worse than being in poverty. Because it is nothing for you to be a very poor kid and different from the worlds you considered rich or fortunate at the time. But in my opinion, the worst thing is, because us being poor like many, I think these days what it can compare to is the poorest too. But sometimes in the world, it can be the black people, the gays, you know, anyone who is considered minority in the world. Yes. So, okay, I want to stop for a minute. I think what she's saying here is that... um... I'm assuming some people aren't going to listen all the way through to she and I talking and are just going to go straight to the transcript. Mm-hmm. So it's going to sound a little broken. And I encourage any of you guys who are just listening to Cora and me uh, talking back and forth here to go back and listen to her tell her story because it really is. Even if you can't understand her in places, it's it's really in, it's incredible. But um, I think what she's saying here is that, you know, being poor, you know, it's, <laughs> like you can triumph over that, but yeah. being depressed is yeah, exactly harder to overcome. Yeah. So anyway, go on. It's like you were inferior to the other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, let's let's yeah. actually go back and, and read that part again because I was like, this one here. Just start there again. Okay. Yeah, so. Yes, absolutely. I think I've actually gotten a bit out of the subject because you were talking about how depressed I have been, and I think that is worse than being in poverty. Because it is nothing for you to be a very poor kid and different from the worlds you considered rich or fortunate at the time. But in my opinion, the worst thing is, because us being poor, like many, I think these days what it can compare to is the poorest too, but sometimes in the world it can be the black people, the gays, you know, anyone who is considered minority in the world. Yes. It's like you are inferior to the other people, you know what I mean? Yeah. And as a poor child, I just mentioned gays and blacks because... Unfortunately, we see lots of races and some sort of pre-made mind about what's normal and what's not. Yes. And when I was a child, I always had big dreams and I wasn't allowed to talk about it. And they were big. I believed in them. But I was the only one believing them. No one else would. And any comments about anything I said would be, and like I said, the blacks would accept the black people even though I am white, as you see. The way people used to offend me, not that I felt offended, but to make me look small was to say, a little black like you is never going to go anywhere. You know, because a little black kid, in their opinion, was offensive, and it would just put me to the ground. Right. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, in the beginning, I never let it get to me so much. But after a while, I just started to say, they're right. Where am I going to go? I have nothing to eat. And though now they are white, as you can see, my teeth were completely black. Yeah, I read in the book about how you went to the dental student and how painful it was. But your teeth were rotten out of your head. I mean, you had no dental care as a child. No, and there was no brush or anything. The first time I had a toothbrush, I was 13. That most of my teeth were broken, black, and like... I do have nice teeth, but they are not natural. Right, sure, sure. And when I finally went to the dentist, they there was not much they could do. They just did what they had to do, so one of those things. Yeah. But I also think depression had really kicked in when I became a teenager. I have a teenager daughter, and I think being a teenager is a painful thing as it is. (laughs) Yeah. That phase in their life is... 
even when they have everything. Now, being a teenager, people put you down all the time. You have no perspective of the future, so that just, you know, it just made me so sad. You know, I have to say, I find it so fascinating while reading this, that here's this, you know, this little girl in the world, in the worst possible situations. I mean, you know, nearly dying a handful of times, molestation, you know, family members dying, best friends dying, all this stuff, this little girl having to endure, and yes, being depressed, and who wouldn't be, by the way, and yet there was still this fire in you. You still, the chances you took, you were like, oh, I'm just going to get on this bus and go here, or I'm going to walk through this door and that door. And a lot of times, to serious upheaval, I mean, you were basically an indentured slave for a time in your life, and yet, no matter what, you just kept going. I find, I find that, I mean, geez, man, I'm very impressed by your tenacity and your sense of spirit. It chokes me up. I mean, it's incredible. I don't know how you did it. I tried to. You, you read this, and I'm like, would I have been like that? Would I have just kept going? I'm pretty fiery, but who knows, you know? Do you know what I always say? I think we as human beings, that's not just me personally. We all have something really strong inside us. And to be fair, I haven't yet found in me what is my strongest thing, what is the strongest part of my soul. But I do know up to now, I believe that I had a very strong mission in the world. And to be honest, like I said, I haven't yet found what it is exactly, what I'm expected to do, or what I want to do yet. I believe somehow I came into the world to change something. When I was in extreme depression, there were days that I wouldn't want to get up out of the bed, and there were days all I wanted to do was to die. I tried a few times, but there was always there were two voices, one telling me how worthless, how unimportant I was, how I should just kill myself. But then there was always a very little voice, always saying to me, don't give up, you must carry on, you must go on, because there is something amazing that's going to happen. And then sometimes I would give up things for a week, and then a little light would come on and say something good, and then something would happen, and I would get depressed again, and that would go on for years because I could get really depressed and put my projects behind me. Then in that moment of light, I would think, you are so strong, why did you stop? Why did you have to hear that stupid voice in your head? Here is what you know is right. You know, follow your faith, follow your soul, you know who you are. And then one day I just said to myself, you either get one step ahead and turn back, or you hold on to your faith wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and stick there. You don't have to go forward on that day, but just don't go backward either, because otherwise you're always going to go back. You're always going to go back, and you're never going to achieve anything. And I just, I just thought to myself that I was in a vicious circle. You know, one step forward, I'd turn back. And then once I had learned to take control of my destiny and just hear what is in this for me, what I want to believe and what I had to believe, like we all should, that we are wonderful, we are beautiful in our own way. You know, and if you believe you came here to be a winner, no matter how many times people are going to say you are a loser, you are meant to be a winner. And it's up to you, you know what it's like being an athlete. You can have a very thin leg, a very thin arm, you're so skinny, and you're never going to be a strong athlete. But if you keep trying and training and never give up, there's no other way, and you're going to get better eventually. And I suppose that's why I held on to my faith. I think that's what it was, and it's easy to lose your faith. I don't blame anyone who does that, because you have, you've got to be a strong soul. You have got to have a strong belief, and I think my faith is what brought me right here, talking to you now, you know? Sure. I am here. So at one point in the story, without giving away too much, you get abducted by a very horrible human being and kept against your will for an amount of time and very bad things happened. And I kept thinking as I was reading that and the whole time you're trying to figure out how to get out of there. And I just thought, man, what more could happen to this poor woman? You really, I mean, 
when you were in that moment, you mentioned something about how, you know, you had tried to die a couple times. And then in this moment, your will to live was so strong in order to get you to escape. Yeah. I mean, while you were in there, did you think you were going to be able to get out? Well, like I said, I came to a point in my life, and thankfully, I think once the time came when that happened, I was older then, even though I was still depressed. Before I went there, I still wanted to die, but I came to realize I never really wanted to die, you know. I think what I really wanted was to have, I I wanted to be loved like all do, and I didn't feel that love ever. And how I know that is because when I was there, I kept thinking to myself, okay, I wanted to die, but did I really? No, because if I died here, no one would know about my death because what I really wanted was to test people's love for me. I wanted to see if anyone would suffer to know that, but I wouldn't know it because I would be dead. But if I died here, what would be the purpose of my life? Why did I go through so much to, you know, to die here in this flat and anyway, in a way and no one would ever know I died? Do you think that guy was a serial killer? I mean, I think he was a serial killer. I've never found this out for sure, but I believe so. For everything I had seen there. And again, I didn't understand this at the time. And again, you'd probably have to go through that circle in life when it seems like everything to happen in your life is bad, but you don't understand you are what attracts those things to you. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, yeah. So it's like, how can so many bad things happen to that person? Or how could someone be so lucky that everything seems right? Because I feel like now it's amazing how once you change your frame of mind, everything starts to change around you. And I suppose people can tell you can tell how you are feeling, how you are dealing with things. And you draw those people to you, whether they're negative or positive. You do. And unfortunately, I think most people of the world don't know the power of the mind and how you circulate whatever you want in your circle. Yes. You're not consciously doing this, but that's exactly what happens. And I say these things because throughout my life, actually, I wanted things and I knew I could get them. I knew I had the potential to do so, right? But as I was saying with, I wouldn't even say success, Even though I consider myself very successful, I would explain to you to be successful to me these days is completely different than what it was in the past. But to me, to be successful is to be able to smile, to be happy, to have friends like I told you in the garden, to have a little barbecue, which I'm not even paying for because someone brought the meat. It's not money at all. It's not a mansion. It's not expensive cars. To be successful is to be happy. I agree. Before, I had this idea of being successful, right? And I was always looking for the wrong things. That was the thing, and material things take longer to get, and it's very easy to lose them, just like that, right? But even to keep anything material, you have to work extremely, extremely hard. So I never really took responsibility for my life, because for me, it was a lot easier to say to people when they said to me, why are you not studying? Why can you not read or write? Oh, because I was very poor. I was born in poverty. Then I was a slave for three years, and then I was raped. I think it's quite easy for you to get in the circle to make yourself look like a victim because while you are blaming your problems to the world, you have no responsibility to them. You don't have to do anything, right? Right. And I think that was because I liked that people thinking I was this poor thing even though no one ever did because inside my own limitation, I had to always be one step ahead of other people. Yes. While there were people in the same situation as me, That poverty we were born in, you know. Well, I moved and I tried to do some things, and I moved to San Paulo, but it seemed like nothing was enough. I always wanted more and more and more, right? Then why did I keep going back? Because, like I said, it always came to a point where committing suicide was not the answer. You know, to make my mom proud was not to commit suicide. (laughs) And even if the suicide happened to be, let's say, what they say, a lot, where you'd be in a magazine or on the front cover kind of thing... I could have made a very big suicide and be on the cover of a magazine, but what would that do to make my mother proud? You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yes. 
If I really want to make her proud, I need to go and show her I can write my name. I can write her a letter. Show her I can write my name. Oops. Oh, sorry. I need to go and... Better say, look, I've studied. I can write her a letter. Say, look, I have studied. I can do those things. And also, another thing apart from my faith and being strong and being able to do things was the fact that I had to make my mom proud. I left her home to say I was, and I couldn't let her down. Not me. Anyone could, but not me. Oh, and also before I was kidnapped, going back to the beginning of your question, when I was kidnapped up to that, so many point, so many things had happened to me anyway. And I say this now, you can go to college, you can read a thousand books, but nothing else can teach you more than life than being there. Yes. And I think the knowledge that I had of being a slave or living with Rachel, the lady with the sexual problems who was a little bit crazy, or that I lived on the streets and lived with a public toilet, everything came to my aid when I was kidnapped. Because I kind of knew from other people I met that the guy, he was not a normal human being like you and me. He had some issues, and that was very clear to me. So I either had to play his game, or I would be a dead woman. And I made my choice. And once I had made my choice, then I just stuck to it, and whatever I had to do, I would do. But I would come out of here alive. And I knew once I got out, I'd be a stronger woman and capable of anything or everything. That's quite a way to look at it. And you're talking about making your mother proud, but ultimately... I think your journey is about making yourself proud for yourself. It definitely is, yeah. Everything I do in life, and like now, for example, because like I said, I think my mission is, my mission in life is to help other people. I don't know how. I don't know how, and that's something that really bothers me. Well, I mean, your book will help help people. (laughs) Do you think so? I really do. I mean, I, I think, I hope that many, many, many people read this book because I think we are all you, all of us. We may not have had so many of the extreme situations but we're certainly all you. Do you know what I mean? And that in that your fight, your tenacity, and your ability to keep on pushing through will teach many of us not to give up. I mean, that's a huge blessing to the world for anyone who reads that. It's good what you are saying to me has been said by a few people who have read the book, and it really makes me happy because I always say, even if I don't make a penny from this book, the whole purpose of writing the book in the first place was to show people no matter where you come from, What matters less of where you are going to go is how you got there. Provided you are not hurting anyone, you're not harming yourself in any way. We should take care of ourselves as well. And I know I hurt myself sometimes, right? But I didn't know any better. And at the end of the day, I came out, apart from some little scars here and there. I got where I wanted to be. And with the depression, for example, I try. I don't remember if I say this in the book or not, but what I found about depression, you want to die. You want to die, and no matter what you're doing, you get used to that. And when you see yourself out of the depression for a little bit, you feel so uncomfortable. You feel so strange. You know, if you are happy for a while, it's almost like you don't allow yourself to be happy because you don't see the point. Because when you are depressed and you get out of the little bubble, it's scary. It's being in that room with lions. A moment of happiness is scary, okay? But then once you reach a happiness like I am now, I'm so happy. When I think about where I have been, I don't want to be there. And people who suffer, they've got to understand this part. You know depression is like a prison. You're a prisoner in your own mind, in your own body. And you believe that it's the normal. And it's really not. When I wrote the book, I was trying to make people understand this. With the sexual abuse, when you are abused by a guy or whatever kind, it was my case, but I know where there are lots of all kind of abuse. You think it's normal. Oh no, he did this or she did this, it's because I deserve it, because I did something wrong or because I'm a bad person. It's not your fault that they're doing bad because you're bad. That's how you see it. No, it's not. And don't be bashful. Talk about it. 
No one deserves to be raped. We came into the world naked. Even if you're walking the street naked, you are doing that for whatever reason, but certainly not to be naked because sex is what you want. Do you know what I mean? And you're not asking for it. Yes, yes. And rape is not about sex, of course. It's about, or not just about sex. It's about control and violence. Exactly. And like I said, since I wrote the book, I keep remembering things about people in the past, about things that happened to me. And there was a guy, the one who abused me when I was 11 years old. Yes. I went to Brazil last year, and as you know, he's married to my sister now. Yes. And then he was telling me that when his son, my nephew, turned 12, he took him to have sex with a prostitute. Whoa. It's at 12 years old. Yes, that is what men did. You know you are a man. You've got to man up when you are 12. And my son is 12, and the other day I was watching sitting and he just kind of came and sat in my lap and said mama i need a hug in that little boy way of his and that's why i was thinking about it i was just imagining my 12 year old son taking him to this room with a grown woman who are professional sex workers and he's forced to have sex with them i think that's child abuse i think that's absolutely child abuse it is but that's what i mean his family would do that to him his own father did that to him to this guy his own father did it and now he's done it to his son and most probably, his son is going to do that, too. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. It's really hard. I'm curious, did you ever, did you know that you're a grown-up person? Have you said to him, did you say to him, uh, you did this to me when I was a child, and did you bring it up at all? I did, and he said that never happened. He denied it. He denied it, yes. Yuck. He denied it. Classic. Yeah, no, he denied it and said, no, it's all on your head. I don't remember anything. When you were abducted and raped and you escaped and you said you didn't go to the police because who would believe you because you were poor, you're a woman, all this stuff. Now that you're a woman of means and you have the self-confidence and all that, do you ever think about when you're back in Brazil leaving police to where the guy might be or trying to catch him or... I would not. No, I would not for a few reasons. First of all, because I don't have a clue where that guy is. I don't know his real... I don't know his surname anyway. But I don't even know if the name he gave me is his real name. And you don't remember how to get back there, probably. I don't. I don't have a clue. Because you were drugged. Yes. And when I left, I ran so fast from the next day, I wouldn't be able to go back there. Yes. But also the police in Brazil, most of them are pretty corrupt. And of course, I don't like to generalize because I'm sure there are great men with the police corporation. But you never know who is the corrupt and who is the good police officers. Yes. And just the fact that you go there and accuse, you can accuse one of them and bring some anger in them. So some things, I think the art of the life as well is to be able to leave the past in the past sometimes. Yes. You know, because I think while you keep thinking about revenge for, in my opinion, happiness is the secret of happiness, that feeling of forgiving, because, you know, if you're able to understand why people do something, because even that guy, like you said, I'm sure he killed so many people, like I think he had raped so many people and kept them prisoner. I don't think he ever, you know, in his real human being was thinking when he was a baby or when he was playing with his little toys, he wasn't thinking, oh, when I grow up, that's what I'm going to do. Something on the way has happened. Right. Or in his dreams makes him or something makes him do it. Yeah. For him to think, that's it, I want to hurt someone. And I know some of them do. All they think about is hurting someone. But I'm sure as a baby, he wasn't made to be like that. Something happened and made him like that. Yes, it's hard to remember that. That is the case in many of these people, that something, some event caused it. Like, for example, you were talking about your brother-in-law taking his son to have sex at 12. That's insane to me. It's disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting. But how can you say to someone, 
It's like, as I see, right, how can I tell a lion, don't go kill a zebra because you're hurting the zebra, you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yes. In their mind, I think, it's I'm just doing this, some comparison, because in their mind, they have to do it. They have to. Yes, it's compulsion. Yes, compulsion. They have to do it. So off of that subject, which is a subject I could talk about for a very long time, one thing about when you were telling the story, and I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, the curido, so the medicine man you went to see, and I, I want to ask about the single note you heard, the musical note. To me, that was like angels or God or whatever calling to you to bring you into the woods when you know when you were very sick, you were taken to this medicine man, you were poisoned by the water, and you went to see the medicine man, and he helped you. But then you found him again on your own. You were a little girl, and that single note you heard, and you talked about it later in the book that you heard it, that note again. I did. Yeah. Those notes are still very clear in my head. Yeah. On some days, that's something really funny that happens with me, right? Being a human, you know, you can have, with a life, you can have a house, you can have a job. Nowadays, you still feel a little down for one reason or another, hormones or stress or whatever you go with. And nowadays, if you're really stressed, yeah, I don't suffer from depression for years now, but every now and then I feel a bit down. But there's something really funny that happens when I go to sleep. I sleep, and then the next day some flash comes to my mind, which I don't know if it's a dream, I don't know if I've been to a place, I don't know if the angels came into my room, but I do hear musical notes, and I have flashbacks of a place I haven't been without having been, and it brings so much happiness to my soul. It gives me the shivers. Yeah, but it's the truth. Yeah, I know, I love it. And then I just want more of that experience, but it's just like those things telling me that you've got to carry on, that you've just got to go home and looking up that there's no reason to be sad and it's really impressive because anytime that I'm down or whatever it is it does happen musical notes something that flashes in my eyes I don't know like stars and static is going through my bones it's a really nice experience I don't know if everyone has that but I it happens a lot I think it's beautiful and I think it shows that you are absolutely meant to be on this planet and that all of your experiences led you to now be a voice for so many and say you know what Happiness does come from within, and you can achieve that, and you can have that, and it's such a beautiful message. I love the book, and I think you're awesome. I really do. I think you're incredible. I'm glad you're on the planet. I'm glad you stuck around. Thank you, Susan. And I'm excited because I feel like because of your experiences, your children will help the world as well. They can't help but do that because they have you as a mom, you know? Yeah, I do hope so. Thank you. Thank you for the very beautiful words you just said. Oh, it's true. It's so true. I want everyone to read this book. I'm going to put links on Hey Human Podcast so that people can find it. Oh, uh, mention you have two businesses now, right? Uh, I'd like to promote those as well. I'd like to put those on the website. Just put the right option cleaning because my daughter has been ill the past year, so I had to sell the catering business off. I sold the business to a friend of mine. Your daughter is okay? Is she all right? Well, yes. Now we know what's wrong with her. Okay. She's not well. We didn't know what it was but un- until she had the diagnosis. She's diagnosed now? Yes. It's always something, isn't it? Yeah. Life is never easy. Thank you so much for your time, Rosanna. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for giving me the chance, and it was lovely to meet you. And just say, I'd like you to put that life is not too easy, but life is worth it. Amen to that, absolutely. I leave you now. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you go. Thanks, Cora. What a... You're welcome. What a story. (laughs) Just we think we have problems. Yeah, I know, right? Jeez. It really it, this book is so 
good. I couldn't, I read it and I just sat and read it all the way through. I want to read it. (laughs) Yeah, it's incredible. And she's, she's a sweet woman. And I hadn't heard of it till now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's in England. She obviously, Mm -hmm. and again, uh, from Brazil and she wrote her memoir and, um, this Penworks Media picked it up and Mm -hmm. is publishing it. And, and so I found it through them because I had uh, done a podcast with one of their other writers, yeah. uh, Elena Mugden, who wrote a great book about dragons. Oh, and cool. It's, yeah, it's really cool. So then uh, the publisher sent me uh, Rosanna's book. Awesome. And I just, how does anyone endure all that stuff? It's insane. I mean, an actual serial. I mean, it was an actual, yeah. in the book, she's describing the room that she's being held in and... I'm just like that's a serial. You're in, you're in a serial killer's lair. Like, there was something on there was something on the news just the other day. The oh woman, yeah, we were talking about yeah, that. Yeah, the woman that getting released from a storage unit where she had been chained to the wall and by her neck. I think she had seen other people get killed right in front of her. Yeah. Um, what the human? I, it's what people can endure is insane. it's insane how resilient people can be. And that's the thing about Rosanna when I was talking to her. She would. I really hope people are, go and listen to the actual episode yeah. because, especially when she's talking about the musical notes. That's crazy. And she's talking about it like you can hear her. It's like she's vibrating. You can hear Whoa. the joy and elation in her voice. And yeah. It's incredible. Anyway, thank you for helping me do this. Yeah, you're I really welcome. appreciate it. Of course. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.